This is Mission.org. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm your host, Jeremy Bergeron, the Vice President of Media Strategy at Mission.org. And this is the show where twice a week, you'll get VIP access into the hearts and minds of some of the most influential marketers in the world. On Marketing Trends, we'll do two things. We'll go deep on a human level, and we'll go even deeper on the nitty gritty of what makes for the most successful marketers and strategies today. I'm glad you're here. Now let's get into it. Content is a word that gets thrown around a lot. And the truth is, today it's easier than ever before to create content. A big reason for that is thanks to companies such as Rode Microphones, which create budget-minded products that constantly push the industry forward. For Rode, innovation is the name of the game, and no one knows that better than Damian Wilson, the CEO of Rode Microphones. Damian has been with the company since its early days, growing into his leadership role and scaling the business in a rapid time frame. But even for him, despite the success, the last decade has been a wild ride. I'm a kid from the Western suburbs, which is not necessarily a nice area. And I never thought I'd be sitting in New York doing business or sitting on a couch with Guns N' Roses. When I walk into Guitar Center on Sunset Boulevard and I see a Rode product, I still get excited because I listen to that music of the 80s where Sunset Boulevard was the place to be. The transformation of the audio industry has been accelerated because of the way companies such as Rode have democratized audio equipment. It no longer takes a fortune and an entire studio build out to get professional sounding content. On Marketing Trends, Damien took me through how Rode has muscled it to the top to compete with legacy brands within the space. He also touches on the unique hiring challenges that Rode has been facing in Australia during the past 18 months and how the company has been able to pivot through innovating in their use of manufacturing equipment. He also discusses how Rode handles customer feedback to ideate its product line and how influencers can push your products further. I'm excited for you to enjoy and hopefully learn from this conversation with Damien right here up next on Marketing Trends. Your content is at the heart of what you do. It connects your company to others, teaches them, guides them, and inspires them. But creating, managing, and editing content at scale is often very chaotic and difficult. Empower your content teams with Brightspot Content Management System, made specifically for marketers and corporate communications leaders. No more waiting for a developer to have to piece things together. Put the power to create and deliver powerful yet complex digital experiences into the hands of your marketers with a comprehensive suite of ready-to-use tools and functionality. Bring a bright spot to your tech stack, your customers, your team, with the Brightspot content management system. Visit brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to learn more. 
Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Marketing Trends. This is your host, Jeremy Bergeron. I'm the Vice President of Content Strategy at Mission.org. And today, I'm very honored to have Damian Wilson, the CEO of Rode Microphones, on the show. Damian, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited to connect with you. As always, when I hear about who's coming on the show, I immediately try to find out, okay, where did this person come from? What What have they been doing? And your background is really interesting. I mean, you've you've climbed the ranks at Rode Microphones from from being in marketing, kind of specifically there, and now over the past you know decade plus that you've been there, now you've now risen to CEO. And so, what I'm curious about from your specific path is you have this marketing background. You've certainly had to learn and pick up other things and cultivate other things as a leader along the way. What's the journey been like for you, though? Let's start there. What's the journey going from kind of being a, a contributor on the marketing side of things to growing into the CEO role at, at a really cool brand at Rode Microphones? Well, it wasn't planned. Um, let's start with that. So okay. it, it's it's quite an interesting story. I, I used to work in uh, advertising and worked in advertising agencies for a long time because my background was um, behavioral science and I studied consumer behavior. Um, so naturally I went from, you know, that sort of skill set through to an advertising agency and worked in alcohol marketing for a long time. And I was doing that and I thought to myself, if I continue to work in the alcohol space, this is not a very healthy idea for someone that uh, enjoys all the uh, trimmings of being in, you know, working in the alcohol space with live music and things like that. And I thought, you know, I really wanted to try something a little bit different. And I saw an ad, this is how long ago it was when I started working for Road. I literally saw an ad for the job in a newspaper, which you, which you wouldn't do right now. And it called for a marketing manager. And I looked up the company and I saw that they had uh, uh, an office in the US and I always wanted to work in the US. And I thought, you know what, I might as well give this a go. And so it was literally sort of serendipitous that I applied and I met the owner, Peter Friedman, and it all started from there. So what is the way that kind of you, when you came into the marketing team there, um, I'm, I'm assuming, was, it a, was there a large, large marketing org already there when you stepped into that role or was it a pretty small team at Road? Not at all. There was no marketing department. Ah. Right? So this is quite funny. It, it, was, it was being done by the founder at the time. Okay. Um, and you think about that, it was, it was 2007, like Road was quite a small brand um, and mainly, you know, sort of doing products in the studio space. Um, because also when you think about it at that time, you know, 2007, like Facebook wasn't around, like, you know, I think YouTube had just launched. It wasn't, there wasn't this kind of rich sort of, you know, content creator space, uh, happening at all. And so it was mainly just a studio brand. Um, and so, yeah, I was literally brought on to sort of start the marketing department and, you know, from there I kind of grew it and put on one recruit who's actually just rejoined the company, which is amazing. Um, after leaving 10 years after starting and then coming back, which is kind of a really cool story. But that was, that was basically it. It started as a very small thing and then it was an organic growth over the next few years to sort of, you know, as, as more and more products, you know, hit the marketplace and we needed to bring in more skills and things like that. That's how the marketing department grew. So since you came from the agency background, you know, and you spent, you spent time there, when you joined in the marketing kind of department there, were you, were you bullish on okay, let's start bringing in agency help. Let's bring in support from the outside. Or did you take the path of who do I need to recruit in terms of being in, on the marketing team and, and building a high-performing team? Well, yeah, the, I mean, the latter, because I come from the advertising space and advertising agency land and I, I knew how that worked and I knew, 
you know, the associated costs and I knew kind of all those bits and pieces. So I figured it'd be better to build an advertising agency in-house and, you know, grow up from there. And I mean, at the time, my obsession was video-based marketing anyway. And it was at the point where iPods were just, you know, you could play videos on iPods and videos were coming, becoming more and more useful in terms of, you know, marketing communications. And that was one of the things that I brought immediately to, to the company, which was that, you know, style of video-based education style marketing. Because, you know, one of the things that I thought was the big problem with, you know, audio brands and, and you know, especially sort of anything music related, you needed to sort of teach people how to use the product and that gave them the ability to purchase, you know. Um, and we were talking at that point, everything was just a conversation about what drives purchase decision. And if you look at, you know, I always used to use this analogy that when you go into a guitar shop, you know, and you'd see, you'd look at a particular guitar and you'd say to the guy behind the counter, hey, can I play that? And they'd pull it down and first just wail on it, you know, and do this amazing sort of guitar riff and then hand it to you and you'd look like an idiot and you wouldn't want to play it. We needed to sort of debunk the myth behind audio and then let people understand that it was a very simple process to be able to do home recordings. And at that point, you know, in the music space. So, and it grew from there, you know, as we started to move into different categories, then we would sort of, you know, push that education element uh, along the same path. So debunking the myth then was really, it was kind of woven through a lot of the growth there from early on. Is that still a big component? Well, it is. And it's like the whole thing. If you look at the Roadcaster, which is sort of one of our flagship podcast products, we just wanted to make the most simplest machine possible for anyone to be able to plug a microphone in and make a podcast and publish it. And we certainly achieved that goal. But on the, on the reverse side, it is also an incredibly technical machine. So if you do have inherent knowledge about audio, you can really get into it and, and make it whatever you want it to be. And that's always been the sort of case. I mean, the audio industry for years has been run by you know, this kind of like upper echelon of people that sit in the, you know, audio engineering society that will love to tell you that, you know, you will never be able to have the skills that they have. And our thing is, well, we're trying to democratize it. You know, everyone should be able to record. Everyone should understand audio. And if you look right now in the last couple of years, because of, I guess, everyone working from home and everyone having to communicate via Zoom, the understanding of audio is now, you know, become super top of mind. Um, and I think at that point, technology is such that it is very easy for people to understand how to sound better. And I think a lot of our microphone sales, you know, in the last you know, 24 months have been about people going, I want to sound better in every Zoom meeting I have. So I'm going to get a nice USB mic and, you know, that's going to be part of my workflow. Mm. So you've obviously had a lot of, you know, exposure in the marketing realm there, having grown up through marketing and into now the CEO role you know, now, is there a certain way that you approach marketing? Has that kind of evolved over time since you've been, you know, at the company for as long as you have? What's your approach to marketing now? Um, I let the experts do it. Um, it <laughs> I mean, look, the thing with it is I've obviously sat in the CEO role for the last five years. And as part of becoming the CEO, the first thing I really needed to do was build my senior management team. Because um, at that point, we hadn't, we hadn't necessarily had it in place. And we knew where we wanted to go in terms of growth strategy. We needed to bring in some top talent. And one of the things that I did do was bring in um, a director of marketing who had come from the telco space, had also worked with Sennheiser, obviously one of our um, competitors. And then from there, he built out a team that you know is now 50 strong. Now, if you think in 2007, there's one person and now there's 50 people, um, you know, for a brand like, like Road, that's a lot of growth over, you know, and, it, and the most of the growth happened in the last, you know, five, 
five to seven years, it's a big team. Mm. And that's, you know, very quite diverse in terms of digital marketing strategists. You know, we have a huge um, video and content creation team because obviously we've kept that whole theme all the way through about using video as our sort of number one communication platform. And also too, if you think about it at the same time, like all these um, social media platforms have matured at the same time as this, you know, particular organization's matured, it's worked quite well. So we're just, you know, we're constantly, we're, we're our own customer every step of the way. So it becomes a very easy conversation, you know, with, with our audience. We use it, you use it, let's all use it. Mm. And so do you find yourself getting more interested or involved at the intersection of marketing since you have that strong background? I know you said you hire great people and that's, that's obviously a, a key component across leadership folks like yourself. They're, they're big on hiring the right people. And then, but you yourself have this kind of cool marketing background. Do you find yourself kind of diving into that that part of the business because you come from that space? Only a tiny bit. Like my main thing is I'll come in at the very end and just make sure that it's on brand, right? So that the, all the brand values, because obviously I've grown with the brand. So it's very close to me. You know, I created it in the first instance, then we've all moved. And then, the you know, our sort of audience has, has then taken control of it. But I can always, I always want to make sure that whatever we're propagating sits inside that kind of core brand value. Um, and we're not sort of stepping outside. So it's not, you know, I'm not, I'm not immersing myself in it because it's something I, I love or uh, are familiar with. It's something that I just kind of come in at the very end, you know, where I've spent the majority of my time in the last few years is more on an operational level. Mm. I've always said this, you know, Road is an incredible company. We're amazing innovators in product. We have a huge R&D team. We have some incredible talent and engineers. And then we have this amazing marketing team, but that's no good if you don't have the rest of the operations of the supply chain and everything else sort of working behind it um, because, you know, you're just going to get frustrated. So for us to scale, you know, obviously the main area I needed to really sort of get into was looking at an operational level because we do manufacture everything in Sydney. So it's a big, you know, there's 500 people doing things on machines and, and you know, making the product. And that's where most of my attention needed to be, which mm. is why, you know, you get really talented people to come in and run the marketing department. And we've put on a, you know, a CTO that came from um, an innovative company out of the UK called Soundfield to head up the NPD process so that I could allow myself time to focus on, you know, where the real needs of the business are. And like, that's, you know, it's, it's a hole that's, I've been trying to fill in for the last five years. Wow. Getting close to the top. That's great. But we extend, yeah. right? So it's, you know, it's an ongoing thing. Well, you mentioned this, you know, all the manufacturing, you know, being in Australia, it's 100% Australia based. Um, this means that Rode has this ability now they have to adopt kind of this vertical integrated model, right? Because you, yep. you make everything there. What has that done for innovation, R&D, growth? What has that done for the business? Well, I think it drives a bit of your innovation um, in, in some regard. And, and a lot of the processes that we've brought in has allowed us to sort of push the envelope when it comes to form factor, materials used and things like that. And I mean, interestingly enough, we're just in the process of a huge CapEx expenditure where we're bringing in even more, you know, capabilities so that we can continue to work and push the boundaries of, of what audio products are going to look like and how quickly we can bring them to market. And so some of those processes will be diecast and we've got a full plating line that's just about to come online. You know, we look at sort of various materials where we're always looking in the additive space. We've got, you know, three new um, custom HP 
uh, 3D printers that are about to come online. And, and for us, you know, there's, a th- there's things that we look at. It's like, do we own the process and do we have to outsource it? Let's bring it in. Also, what is something that, you know, allows us to get things faster to market and how, how we can work that? And if you think we've just bought these metal 3D um, printing machines, and one of the main reasons for that is we have a full injection mold facility, it means that we can make the inserts for the tools quicker and you can be super innovative when it comes to cooling, which changes finishes and all those sorts of things. So it's like it's it's like we know what we want to make, and we then start looking at these different processes that we can apply into, you know, what would normally be kind of a bit of a set and forget style um, manufacturing process. Mm. I mean, there's and there's a great story. We have a machine that is spec for making parts for watches so if you like you know every every high-end swiss watch manufacturer will have one of these machines and it's a it's a cnc machine made by citizen but we use it to make back plates for microphones because the precision and the tolerance is so insane because you think they're making you know hundred thousand dollar rolexes but this is for a 200 dollars microphone it means that you know everything about microphones is about or capsule design is about flatness it's super flat it's frequency response will always be the same and it's completely automated. Mm. And I, you know, other mic manufacturers I know are not thinking in that regard. They're not thinking about how can we take that machine out of that industry, put it into our version and then create product around it, which is a bit of the road secret sauce to be quite honest. That's really interesting. Yeah. As you describe that, um, there's another show that I host called business X factors and it's where I interviews the C-suite. We talk about like, what's their secret sauce that makes them great. Mm-hmm. Right. And, um, as you described it, I'm like, that's, that's definitely a bit of an X factor there in terms of supply chain, you know, and how that supply chain is such a big topic these days. It really seems across industry. Has it been challenging navigating the kind of almost ever evolving supply chain and how, you know, you're having to rely on certain things to go right in order to scale and the world's changing and what's kind of been your perspective and your experience, you know, making sure that your supply chain is tight, allowing you to scale? Yeah. I mean, look, the supply chain has, has been completely messed up over the last 24 months. I think I've used the phrase headwinds like so many times it's, it's next level. I mean, it's some of it, it's had to push a little bit of innovation around some of the products that we already have in market because, you know, there may be an IC issue, like an integrated circuit or what have you, we haven't been able to get, you know, good supply. I mean, even, even on, you know, just talking about the CapEx thing, like, you know, purchasing machines has even changed in lead times. And, and what, you know, one of the things that um, we did a few years ago was look at our, our ERP system and look at how we were running the business end to end and sit there and go, okay, what are the improvements? What process improvements do we need to put in place right now? And before we didn't have a necessarily mature supply chain team in-house, but we sort of grew that super quick. And it was just at the right amount of time because then COVID hit the first sort of, you know, version of COVID last year. And when we started to see some, you know, interruption in supply chain, we had the ability to be able to pivot. And I didn't want to use that word because people used it way too much during this whole thing into just making things that were, you know, completely available to us uh, onshore in Australia. And, you know, obviously the, that meant, you know, you needed to have the right amount of raw material and all those bits and pieces, which was a testament to the supply chain team getting an ERP system up and running quickly. And then now that we've gone through this next sort of run of, of um, lockdowns and things like that, 
and the interruption supply chain, we've got a mature response to it. We've looked at all lead times. We look at what we're doing and things like that and how long it takes to bring things in. But as I was going to mention, that whole CapEx thing, normally if you wanted to buy an injection mold machine, it would be like 12 months from order to delivery. And now it's 24 months because mm-hmm. you think about, you know, you read about the auto industry not being able to make cars because they can't get the, you know, computer chips, but it's every industry. Mm-hmm. And it's even the machines that make the machines. You can't get the chips for that. So they're waiting for it. You know, so it's, it, look, and I'm, I'm, um, I'm incredibly interested to find out where this all ends up because I don't think anyone um, has a, has a clear view of what, you know, 2022 and 2023 is going to look like. Because if you look at all the kind of financial stimulus that's gone around the world, I think we've skipped through, you know, a cataclysmic, you know, meltdown financially, but we've just pushed it down further. Right. Because you, know, you, you read any of these stories about Mercedes-Benz not having access to 50 of their V8 car variants for sale next year. It's just, okay, well, what are they going to sell? Right. How many how many industries are going to be affected in the next two years? It's just you know interesting, but obviously that's what we're constantly thinking about. Then we're like, all right, what can we do? How how do we continue to move on? And you know, lucky for us, we've got some you know super talented uh, electronics engineers that know where to find you know chips. And for us, because we don't buy ICs off the shelf, we're not just going to Texas Instruments. We're not just going to all these you know manufacturers that have high cost components. We're always looking to deliver it cheaper. We have through lines into other places that allow us to continue on. Mm. That's interesting. I'm wondering if there are any challenges in, you know, in terms of when I think of like, you know, launching new products and something that, you know, Road has done since the beginning of, of the company. They always had new products, new things. What is the balance of launching new products, innovating, of course, which is important, and then also kind of deepening existing product, you know, fitting, deepening customer loyalty, deepening customer acquisition with the suite of products that you have? Do you have like targets of like, okay, we have to launch two or three new things in the next six months or a year? Or what does that look like? And how do, how do you balance it? I mean, we do. And what we're looking at now is sort of adjacencies that we can move into that will obviously... And the, and the way we do it, we're not, we don't just sort of sit there and say, okay, how can we raise our revenue? We literally look at our customer and we say, okay, what, what is our customer's workflow like? What are they doing? They're podcasters, they're content creators. What sort of equipment are they using? Okay, we know they're using a wireless go, a roadcaster, a video mic. Oh, but they're wearing headphones and those headphones don't say road. So maybe we need to sort of go and work into that agency, adjacency, right? And so, but then by the same token, we go, okay, we need to have certain amount of new products that are going to hit the market, um, which will meet, you know, the expectation of, you know, customer. But then what we have found is that, that where road has really kind of risen to the top in terms of, uh, I think customer sentiment has been that fact that we deliver a product and we keep on enhancing it and, you know, and it becomes a schedule of, okay, every three months, let's add something else to this particular product. So the customer goes, wow, you've done it again. And it also is sort of, it shows that we're listening to feedback and we're innovating when someone says, oh, I wish I could have, you know, some DSP on my wireless go. Well, we look at it, we listen to it and we work, okay, how can we do that? And then launch that out. And I think now, because we're so used to as consumers, you know, having a subscription model in some way, shape or form in everything we do, and it has to get better every time. Now, as products, it can't just be, here it is, set and forget, we sold it to you, good luck, off you go. 
we need to have that constant communication. And, and I think where we've matured as a business, you know, we're putting things into products that we plan to release in six months time so we can have that, that experience for the customer. What's kind of been one of the biggest challenges for Rode microphones, kind of looking into the next 12 months, what's been some big challenges, some big problems that you're tackling now? Well, yeah, I mean, to be quite, there's, there's, there's several, right? So, you know, the fact that the world has been closed, for, for instance, it's meant that, you know, our distribution network has been sort of left alone for, you know, 24 months. Um, so obviously it's like everything you need to reconnect and make sure that we're all on the same page and everyone's had their own certain challenges, you know, for us, when we're on the precipice of expanding exponentially, you know, we need more people, um, across all disciplines and, you know, obviously as, as an Australian company, we rely heavily on immigration. Like we need to be able to bring talent in and we haven't been able to bring in anyone. Um, and it's quite, quite funny, like here it's, it's a, it's quite palpable the amount of um, people that aren't landing in our country to bring certain skills because there's a massive skills shortage everywhere. And that's the, it's the hard balance there has been, okay, we've got all these amazing ideas and we have all this ability in these machines to bring it to market, but we, we're missing core parts of you know, skill sets within the business to be able to get it out the door. So that's one particular challenge. And then there's also this, the supply chain. It's like everything in supply chain is, is you know, it's a constant conversation. It's like you know, aluminium is going up in price every five seconds, you know, uh, every, and every look, the knock on effect about all this kind of supply chain issue is, is hitting every part of, you know, I think every part of our business, cardboard's gone up and become more expensive, you know, PCB manufacturing has gone through the roof and it's like, how are you going to justify this inflationary cycle? Are you going to move prices, which puts you into a different category that may mean that your customer base is going to change dramatically quickly? Or can you weather it for a certain period of time? Like how long is this, you know, fluctuation going to happen? And it's, it's, it's an ongoing challenge. And then also we'll just find out this is the best one. You know, during the pandemic, then you just read in the newspaper that one of the um, biggest uh, integrated circuit fab houses just burns down. And then suddenly there's no of this one particular chip that we have one in our product ever again, gone. Which is why uh, when I just bought a car recently, they only gave me one key because they only had enough chips for one key. Wow. It's really is quite, quite something in this new world that we're living in and should see the impact of the supply chain. It's just, it is wild. And like you, I'm curious to see where we all end up. On the topic of just your growth and kind of how have you handled you know, roads exponential growth over the past decade because because with this growth, I mean, you've had you've continued to build this really cool community of of avid you know fans and users, but that you know not all brands can kind of manage that kind of growth, and not all companies are able to do that. So, how have you kind of handled that? I look at to be quite honest, I feel like it's deeply ingrained in in the sort of psyche of road, and it's it's quite funny. Like the guy that owns it, Peter Friedman, um, has always been about the customer. And like, we always laugh that he's just a small shop owner because he still has that same sentiment where every customer um, is exactly the same. So the trickle down from, you know, that sort of ethos um, to everyone in the business uh, has, has worked. And as it scaled, that sort of understanding is scaled. And we obviously spend a lot of time in understanding our customer and talking to our customer and look, you know, and the integration of social media platforms and then sort of, 
I guess, backend aggregators that allow you to speak to multiple customers and find out what their issues are has meant that, you know, we've managed to maintain that, you know, connection with the customer, but it's something that we always talk about. And I know it's, you know, high on the agenda in the marketing department and it's always high on the agenda in the product innovation team. It's always, we're always customer focused and customer centric. You know, we have a huge um, service team that is constantly talking to customers um, about anything and even troubleshooting how people can, you know, connect their microphones to a Zoom call or anything like that. And I know that that's one part of the business that we we will never allow to be taken over. I mean, we just literally um, did a test on some AI, being able to answer some, you know, questions, Q&A questions for, you know, customer support and things like that. But even when we were in those initial meetings, like the, the, the whole conversation was, look, this cannot fail. You know, if we get one bit of feedback that it's dehumanized, stop it. Let's just get more staff because the business has been built on that on that connection and that ability for people to be able to talk directly to us and find out, you know, something about their product or even like a, a pre, a bit of pre-sales advice. And it sounds really old school and it sounds cottage and it sounds small fry, but it's something that we will never let go of and we'll continue to grow it. So we, it can go with, with the scale mm-hmm. and segment as we move on. But sure. I mean, that's, that's interesting. I mean, even the face of innovation, like, you know, AI and some of the things that you can do with, you know, machine learning and AI, if you're, core component of, of that connection with the customer suffers, then it's like, we're going to, we're still going to, we're going back to that. The first thing I can't change is our connection to the customer. And so I like how you'll even pause on some technology if it doesn't really fit that, which is really interesting. And I think it's, I think that's going to benefit the business as well. Yeah. Can you talk about a bit about how road works with influencers and, and gear reviewers and kind of how that's been an, an effective strategy for road? Well, I was just about to say, even for that connection with customer, like having a sort of deep influencer program, you know, allows a connection because there's, you know, there's certain, there's certain people that we, you know, provide product to all the time. Curtis Judd, for instance, um, you know, he's got such a following that they become advocates for us and, and they become the sort of, I guess, the, the sales advice in terms of, of product. And I think, you know, our use of endorsees, as we used to call it back in the day, and then influencers has a rich history. And that's one of the things that, one of the very first things that I did, you know, in 2008, when people were starting to do YouTube reviews and we had a video mic out in the market, you know, in the past, the, um, you know, the company would send out products for review, but expect it back. And we just changed that model immediately and just started to flood the market with video mics. And so we knew at that point that, you know, me putting my old school marketing hat on that peer-to-peer recommendation was the number one purchase influence, um, you know, and it still is, right? Peer-to-peer recommendation is the number one purchase influencer in the world, right? And that's what this whole, you know, influencer thing's just been built on. So, you know, obviously we have a huge integrated team that works with, you know, all the influencers and provides them with the information in order to, you know, make uh, decent reviews of our products. But, you know, I always laugh because there always has to be a con. No one can ever say that it's just a great product and move on. And we just had a recently, actually, this um, particular product right here, the PSA One Plus, which is the studio arm. Um, one of the uh, reviewers said it's the best studio arm for the price on the market, except the logo is too big. That's the only con. I'll live with that. You can live with that. I like it. So in terms of just your style of leadership, like how, do you, how would you describe like your style of leadership at Rode? I don't know if I'd, I'd give it a particular, you know, a name or anything like that. I mean, I've obviously grown with the business. So, you know, and I can see 
you know, the needs that the business have, um, you know, I would, I would hope that, um, you know, most people understand where I'm coming from and, 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 you know, I'm sure that it's, you know, it's quite interesting. There's the two guys in the marketing department that are sitting in this room right now have probably never heard me talk about all the challenges the businesses have. Um, so it's probably interesting for them as a takeaway to go, oh, okay, great. He is across everything. Um, and funnily enough, we ha- we're having a, um, a conference um, for all the sort of senior managers and, and then sort of mid-tier managers on Friday to talk about the next three years and, and the strategy and what products we're coming, you know, out with so everyone can understand where the company's heading and all those bits and pieces. So, I mean, I guess it's a, it's a mixture of, um, you know, formal leadership, a bit of transparency, and then hopefully some um, inspiration. But I let people do what they got to do. Like, and this is what I say, like, you know, we're all experts in the field. We all know what we need to do. Um, we've just got to communicate how we're doing it, how it fits inside of the organization. Mm. So I'd love you for you to reflect on, you know, the past 14 years or so there at the brand. What's been your like most favorite day there? And then what's been your like most favorite challenge, favorite failure? Well, it's been an interesting journey. I could tell you that much. Because I mean, ideally, when I did start, I was only planning on doing it for a few years. Well, that didn't work out. <laughs> no, it didn't. It didn't. It's, like, <laughs> it's like, that's what I said at the start of the interview. It wasn't planned. And it's been an amazing journey. You know, I think, I think that um, I've had so many good moments um, in the business that I wouldn't be able to isolate it down to one. You know, I, I mean, I'm, there's so many things on a personal level that have been amazing for me in this entire journey. You know, and and a lot of that's tied to just you know meeting people along the way. Um, you know, and I'm sort of a kid from the western suburbs, which is you know not necessarily a nice area. And I never thought I'd be sitting in New York doing business, or you know sitting on a couch with Guns and Roses. You know, but all of that sort of stuff came to fruition. And it's like, you know, when I walk into Guitar Center on Sunset Boulevard and I see a Road product, I still get excited because I you know listen to that music of the '80s where Sunset Boulevard was the place to be. And so there's so many pinnacles and, and great moments. Obviously getting the CEO gig was, you know, fantastic. Watching the team grow, you know, we've gone from, you know, when I started maybe 20 people in the front office to now 250 and there's, you know, hundreds of assembly staff. Um, so the growth's been incredible. We've won, you know, numerous awards, you know, and, and I think now, you you know, I mean, it's, it's not rusty for me even now. You see road products everywhere. And I think too, like the wireless go, for instance, um, you know, that was so revolutionary and so innovative and really sort of hit an audience at the right time. And so, I mean, that's kind of a bit of a proud moment being involved in that team, but you know, the same, the same sort of token, it's all, it's all a team response here. We're all, we're all in it. We're all doing it. And look, the failures, there's too many to list, mate. I can tell you that much. <laughs> it's always a challenge. And it's like, you know, and that's, that's the evolution of business and it's how you sort of work, you know, inside of that framework and how you learn. And, you know, not every launch is a super success. And I think the key to, the key, you know, for us to sort of grow even further is to really respect those failures and start to deconstruct them more. Because when you do sit inside a highly successful company and, you know, you know, one out of every 10 is a failure, but nine are like a runaway success you never fix that problem. And that's one of the things that we're really going to focus on in the next sort of three years is, okay, well, how do we isolate, how we change? And, you know, that's what we need to look at. Because when you get big, and this is the one thing that, you know, I always say, it's like the mistakes are just amplified. Right. And you will get to a point where it's like, 
you know, in the past, if we, if we, you know, made a mistake on a launch and, you know, maybe there was a component wrong or the testing was incorrect, you know, you may be thinking about 5,000 units. Now you're talking about, you know, 500,000. That's like, okay, we can't afford that. Um, you know, so we need to have everything sort of upstream and downstream sorted. So we know that we're not going to replicate any of those issues. I love it. It's awesome. Yeah. I think you're, it's a unique path for someone to grow into the CEO role, you know, and to stay, you know, with such devotion to the brand and then, then be a part of some incredible growth that is not stopping by any means. So I know we're all excited about road continuing on and um, this has been exceptional. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. Salesforce brings marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com forward slash marketing. We have the CEO of Road Microphones, Damian Wilson. Lightning round, first question. Is there a road user, a band, a podcast, et cetera, that you were excited to learn that they were using your equipment? Uh, I'm back in the day, Casey Neistat. This is how old I am. I don't know. I saw it on the front cover of <laughs> Popular Mechanics. He was like top 40, wasn't he? Like top the top 40 guy, Casey? Casey, no, no, no. Casey Neistat was probably one of the original kind of vloggers when that was a thing. Oh, in, yeah, in that's career. right. Yeah, okay. Okay, okay, cool. Um, second question, which road product is your favorite? Wireless Go 2. Wireless Go 2. Okay, you heard it, you heard it first, folks. Next, uh, what do you do kind of as the CEO to keep up with trends, things like that? Uh, I'm an avid reader. Um, and like everyone, you know, the internet makes everyone the most, you know, powerful, smart people if you're directed in the right area. And, you know, obviously take a lot of feedback from, you know, my staff and things like that on what's happening. And I've got kids, man. They keep me up to date. Ah, family man. Cool. Okay. What is that? What's one brand that you're loyal to aside from Rogue? Penfolds, no, don't say that. Uh, <laughs> I'm not even a brand guy, to be quite honest. <laughs> I like Nike sneakers. There you go. Okay, Nike, got it. All right. Um, who's someone that's been a great mentor to you and, and why? We'd be remiss if I didn't say the owner of the company, Peter Friedman, because obviously I've been on this journey with him. Um, and so he's had a lot of uh, trust in me across the you know years and we've worked very closely. So, you know, I mean, it's he and I that, you know, built it. And obviously I, I had a very good start. So yeah, Peter Friedman. Mm, okay. Best advice for a first time CEO that's like you kind of coming from the marketing world, stepping into the CEO role, best advice for someone like that. Um, it's funny. I just read an article recently about what makes a, a great CEO. And, and basically they're saying that you need to become a fantastic generalist, not an expert. So and, you know, it probably mirrors some of the questions you were talking to me about earlier. Don't go back to what you were an expert in. Move to the areas that are most challenging because that's where you'll have the greater influence. Mm, I love that. Awesome. Well, Damien, thank you so much for taking the time to be on Marketing Trends. We appreciate it. And again, congratulations on all the success and the momentum at Road. We all know that you guys are not slowing down. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people. 
but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.